Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 26th uh, episode of our uh, little adventure, uh, Riding in the Stars and Trying to Understand the Above and the Below. 26 is, of course, a very auspicious number, so hope it's going to be an auspicious meeting for us. Um, this week, we have something kind of interesting. Uh, we're going to talk about it and... Again, I have to uh, apologize because I remember I promised uh, that we're going to go over the decans uh, today for the rest of the signs. But when I went over them and prepared them for you, I've realized that there's a lot of information since I started getting into it that is super important. So I just don't want to rush through it. What we are going to do is every month in the beginning of the um, actual sign, talk about the sign specifically and therefore today we're going to do the Aries one because we missed Aries uh, I mean we didn't miss it it was last week uh, last uh, yeah last week last month uh, and we'll do also Taurus uh, because this is the month of Taurus and then we get to Gemini we'll do Gemini and so forth so after the end of the year you'll understand it much better and during the month I'm going to also go back to it every time there is a planet maybe that is crossing from one decans to the other. It will mention it and give examples of how it works. So it's going to be much more practical instead of like a, you know, like the supermarket list that go on and on and on. And, um, you know, eventually you lose kind of interest in it because we also talked here quite a lot about the tarot cards, which I really appreciate. I really love them. I think it's the first graphic novel that um, we got published in this world. I'm not saying about um, that there are probably other places. You know, the hieroglyphs is kind of a comic book as well. But at least in Western Europe, or in Europe, in the West, uh, these are one of the first indication of graphic novels. Uh, so I really want to pay attention to it. And um, the first 40 you can say cards, the minor arcana, are related to the decans, especially when we talk about the Toth deck. So therefore, I really wanted to make it much more concrete for you guys and much more detailed. Uh, and then we're going to actually start doing it according to the signs. And that way you'll know and you're going to assimilate it much more. And it's going to be sticking in your head instead of just like, a, oh, I was born here. Therefore, I am like that. And then forget about it. The important thing that's happening this week is that uh, two things are happening. Both of them are kind of intense, let's say. One of them is that we are entering eclipse season. Uh, the last eclipse season, if you remember, was the end of last year. Uh, now we're moving into um, a different set of eclipses. Remember we talked about the, the Taurus-Scorpio axis that we're going to be diving into in the next year and a half until July 2023. And that means that our collective lessons or our collective um, need to connect to an archetype is changing. And that's something I want to talk about today because it's very prevalent for the next week. We're actually going to have the eclipse on the 30th, uh, which is Saturday. Then we're going to have another one, of course, if they always come in couple, in May 16, which is going to be a very auspicious uh, full moon because it happens to be the full moon that the Buddha was born, died, and attained enlightenment. So that's going to be really powerful. Last year, by the way, was it last year that we didn't do it or the day or the year before? I think we um, missed it uh, because the full moon fell actually not during Taurus but during Aries. Uh, but that's because of uh, leap years and so forth. But this year it falls according to the archetypes, the same way that Passover is falling under the archetype. But last year, if you remember, 
Rosh Hashanah was in Virgo instead of Libra. So sometimes the lunar holidays get messed up because of the difference between the solar calendar and the uh, lunar calendar. But at least this year, we have something very interesting. The eclipse that we're going to have on April 30th was dubbed by Asimov, as I wrote uh, in the book on 2020, as the birthday of science. So if you really want to give science a birthday card or if you want to give science some kind of a gift, uh, that's going to happen this Saturday, according to Asimov, because he traced it incorrectly that the first time that we have calculated, we, I'm talking about humanity, uh, calculated the eclipse and left the record for it was uh, back in the 6th century BCE by Thales, and it was the Battle of the Eclipses. I talk about it quite a lot in that book over there. And this Saturday coming up, the 30th, is, according to Asimov, the birthday of science, because it was the first time that we could scientifically predict an eclipse. Before that, it, the eclipses belonged to these random acts of God. And really, I don't th know if it's the birth of science, but it could be the birth of cyclical knowledge, of understanding that cycles can be traced. Because around that same time, 6th, 7th century BCE, is when astrology is really formatted very strongly in Babylon. So it was a very interesting time. Remember, we talked about it quite a lot here as the Axial Age, the age where the Buddha was, uh, uh, Lao Tzu, uh, Confucius, the prophets in the Bible, uh, Pythagoras, Thales, who was Pythagoras' teacher. So we had the, all over the world something shifting in our understanding of the universe. And this Saturday represents the new moon in Taurus, the eclipse of new moon in Taurus. This birthday of science, by the way, doesn't happen every year. If you really want to be uh, correct with it, it happens every 19 years because we have to wait for the new moon in Taurus eclipse, the solar eclipse. It's going to be a partial one, so it's going to be a partial birthday for science. Or maybe science is going through so much difficulties with so much attacks by politicians and so forth. It used to be science against religion. Now science have become also in conflict with politicians. I don't know why everybody's attacking science all the time. Even scientists attack scientists. So... We have to recognize that every 19 years uh, we have that birthday official. And maybe Asimov was really right about uh, dubbing the solar eclipse in Taurus as the birthday of science because it's an eclipse. And it means that if something is born in an eclipse, if you know, if you're born in an eclipse, uh, I have a nephew who is born in an eclipse, there's always fears around it. And, and the growing or, ra or being raised coming out of an eclipse is not that easy because eclipse literally means that whatever the lunation is, whether it's a new moon, new beginning, a lunar eclipse, a completion, or the, the full glory of that process, when it's eclipsed, it's literally eclipsed. It's, it's, in Hebrew, likui means a little bit of brokenness or a little bit of something's missing in that, uh, uh, that lunation. So maybe because science was born during an eclipse, according to Asimov, and I kind of agree with that, then maybe science is confronting a lot of difficulties all the time because it was born during an eclipse. But that eclipse is very, very interesting because the eclipse um, that I'm talking about from, five, from the 6th century BCE was an eclipse that happened during the fight or during the six-year war between the Medians and the uh, Lydians, and they took place just about just below the uh, Black Sea, which is kind of interesting. Now we have a major war in the north of the Black Sea, uh, on the shores of the Black Sea, actually these days. So it's kind of interesting that all of this is repeating itself, and that battle was 
the final battle between the Lydian and the um, uh, Median. And what happened in that middle of the battle is that the eclipse happened and the sun was covered. Everybody dropped their weapon and there was a peace accord that finally came through between the Median uh, and the Lydians. So... I always think about this eclipse as an opportunity to put down our weapons and realize that stalemates or any kind of conflicts that is waging between two forces that the two forces cannot make a decision or cannot win decisively, maybe this eclipse can help untie some of these negativities. Even if the conflict is between us, I don't know if to go to uh, live in Portugal or to live in um, Malta. Okay, so maybe there's a stalemate in the family. We don't know where to move to. And this eclipse can resolve this or can help resolve it. So we're entering eclipse season, uh, April 30th. We're going to go over the list of the signs and which uh, what area in your life, according to your sign, you're going to feel this boost of energy, the birth of science in your own inner world, the ability to put the weapons down and create some kind of peace accord in your own personal world according to your spiritual tribe. So we'll look at that also. And don't forget, we are now entering the eclipse season. The eclipse season is not like, oh my God, nothing happened to me on um, April 30th. I'm fine. April 31st, I can do a wild party, uh, you know, or if you're a politician, oh yeah, this is the time to go for orgies. You know, no, because we have the eclipse season and the eclipse season starts on the first eclipse and it ends in the second eclipse. It's two weeks that we are in the midpoint between two very powerful lunations. So therefore, between April 30th to May 16th, you're really have to be careful, really have to pay attentive because things move much faster around eclipses. So whatever process you're going through, now it's going from the second or third gear, for those of you who still remember shift gears, to the uh, fifth gear. You're kind of like hitting turbo. You're like really getting into a, a quickening of processes. We call it in, uh, if we use the um, a terminology from the sci-fi dune, it's a quitsatadarak. It's a, it's a jump. It's a leap in the way, in a sense. So every eclipse is like a leap forward. Um, and the eclipses are in the territory, you can say, of Taurus and Scorpio. My money versus my partner's money. My talents versus my partner's talents or other people's talents. My self-worth versus the self-worth maybe of my family or my society or my country. It could also be looked at sensuality versus sexuality, mother nature and life versus death. So all of those energies are now being mixed. The one on, on um, April 30th is going to be a new moon in Taurus. And the new moon, even if it's a partial solar eclipse, represents a big boost of energy. I recommend not to do anything new on April 30th because it's the actual eclipse, but to wait a day after. So the day after the eclipse, two days after the eclipse, unless it's void, of course, is really a good time to launch things and to start things and also to be extra careful because we're talking about the eclipse. So it means that... You, if you want to start something that needs to develop slowly and methodically and into details, don't do it during the eclipse because the eclipse is like a race card. It's not going to stop and look at the signs and stop uh, in the junction or give way to somebody else, right? So think about if you want to start something that you just need pure force, kind of like aggressive energy to move forward, and that you're not super worried if the car is going to be sliding left or right, or, you know, or if you have a very open place to kind of 
drive your car. That's going to be much better. Otherwise, if you need to start something very detailed, you better wait and not start anything during the eclipse season. And don't forget that on May 9 already, we're going to have Mercury retrograde. stationary may 10 it's gonna uh, start depends where you are in the world retrograde so we're gonna have mercury also retrograde in taurus north node is now in taurus the sun and moon is gonna be in taurus hence the eclipse in saturday so we're gonna have a lot of taurian energy and remember we talked here quite a lot mercury in taurus is the card worry in the uh, deck in the tarot deck so uh, it's a lot of time worry about financial situation, worry about rent, worry about mortgages, worry about very practical, pragmatic things. So yes, we are entering a Mercury retrograde. It's not the easiest. But uh, we're going to be done with that Mercury uh, Mercury in Taurus in a few days. Then it's going to go into Gemini, but immediately it's going to start retrograding. So the interesting thing is that this week, we are also entering the shadow of Mercury. So remember, we started talking about it in October, I think. So it was six months ago, actually, that we now have to recognize that the shadow of Mercury is very, very important to pay attention to. I mean, it was always very important, but because things are getting a little bit more intense uh, in every aspect of life, including astrology, therefore, we have to look at the these shadow periods of Mercury retrograde when he's not really retrograde, but he's going over the place in the Zodiac where he is going to be retrograde to pay attention to it. So already, if you have big projects, again, you're going to have to start. I mean, we'll talk about the dates in a second, but you could better do it in the next few days or you can catch a little bit of the Mercury uh, in Gemini before it starts, um, before the eclipse, in order to really push projects forward, or just to chill out until December, uh, until June 3rd or 4th, approximately. But like we said, we've been free of retrograde this whole period. Now we have to start um, looking into our uh, retrogrades as well. So that's part of uh, our week. It's a very intense week because of A, the eclipse, and B, the shadow. Uh, let's see what we have. Yeah, this week has been very, very uh, religious week. Uh, kind of interesting what was going on uh, in the world. And I've tried to collect a little bit of uh, pieces of news for you that you can uh, try to assimilate and connect to or, or tap into what is happening above. So first of all, it was we talked about it here last week, I think, just because it was a before Passover and Easter. Last week was Easter, of course. Today is Easter if you are celebrating in the Orthodox, uh, Greek Orthodox faith. Don't forget that all over Bulgaria, Ukraine, Russia, now they're celebrating Easter, actually. The reason why they're celebrating Easter in a different date is because they're still holding on to the Julian calendar that was uh, created by Julius Caesar, 45 BCE. And, of course, later on in the 16th century, they change it to the Gregorian calendar, at least in Western Europe. And there is a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of a problem with um, the dates because the way to actually do it with astrology and uh, Christianity and Judaism, and we talked about it quite a lot here, is that the anchor for these holidays is always going to be the equinox, and it's a solar phenomenon. It's not a lunar one. Therefore, it's always going to fall on the 20th of March, 21st of March, that the sun and the moon 
are equal in times, the day and the night are equal, and that uh, that the, the beginning of days growing is going to happen on the equinox. Therefore, the Passover has to fall on the first full moon that takes place after this equinox, which was, again, last week. And then uh, the uh, Easter has to fall on the first Sunday after the full moon. So right now we're actually after the second Sunday of the full moon. So that's why in the Orthodox Church it's a little bit different. It's further away from Passover. And again, remember, Passover was the Last Supper. So if you want to be authentic to the story, it has to actually have happened last week. But if you are following the Orthodox calendar, it's happening today. So happy Easter, happy Bunny Day, happy Egg Day, happy Resurrection for those who are celebrating it in um, Eastern Europe. But it was a very interesting week and also in the news because there was a convergence of religion. Especially you saw it in very what we call holy places because of the stories that were weaved around them. So, for example, we had the Ramadan that happens on the ninth month of the lunar month of the Muslim calendar. We had Easter and we had Passover all converging together. We talked about it last time. It happened was 1991, which basically means we are going through a Saturn return of the convergence of faith. But at the same time, what was also happening, and that was part of uh, the full moon energy, is that India, that again follows a lunar calendar, had the celebration on the full moon in Aries of Hanuman's birthday. Because Hanuman's birthday obviously uh, should be related to Aries. Don't forget that Hanuman is the protector, he's the fighter, he's the warrior. Uh, and that's very much an Aries thing. If you go to any gym in India, you'll see Hanuman. Any martial arts studio in India, you'll see Hanuman. Hanuman is the monkey uh, god. Uh, you know what? It's actually kind of interesting because right here behind me, uh, where I'm supposed to get all of that um, light from outside, but also the light from inside... I have the um, New Testament, the Old Testament, and Hanuman. This is Hanuman, by the way. I didn't put him now. Uh, he's always there. See, Hanuman? It's hard to see with all the reflection of the light, but this is uh, a very buff, um, somewhat hairy oh, sorry, monkey. And because I was born in the year of the monkey, obviously, and I'm an Aries, he's an Aries, uh, so... I have an affinity to him. Anyway, you know what's what's interesting about all of this situation is that instead of having this moment where so many religions are coming, converging together, you know, religion to realign uh, the love of God, the love of Jesus, the love of Allah, the love of um, Yahweh, whatever, the love of Hanuman, Rama, and Sita. It's all about love, right? But what happened, I noticed, is when religious things converge, it creates the opposite. It creates hate. So you saw what was happening in Jerusalem and in Aqsa, where you had people uh, fortifying themselves in Aqsa, uh, throwing rocks. Then you had the police create uh, do a lot of terrible things to people there. It's a whole craziness that's happening in Jerusalem. Then if you go to New Delhi, you see that there is riots between Hindus and Muslims there because, again, there is the conversion of religion. And then you have in um, a all over the world, whenever there is this feeling of 
too much love to one place, it somehow generates hate. That's what I've noticed also when you walk in Jerusalem. Uh, people come very open, energetically speaking, wanting to experience the light of Jerusalem. And a lot of time they come reporting back that what they have experienced is a lot of hate in Jerusalem. Because when somebody, so many people love something, it becomes possessive. It's almost as if there's these men uh, let's call the men Islam and Judaism and Christianity that fall in love with Jerusalem, let's call her a woman, then they become abusive to each other and they start becoming abusive also to Jerusalem because why did Jerusalem go on a date with the Muslim guy instead of the Christian guy and so forth? It's such a interesting thing of how uh, these holidays that are supposed to be about love and about acceptance, about community, create so much death and devastation and pain. That's really unfortunate, but it's also partly because, with all due respect, they have decided to converge in the red lands of Ares. And obviously, Ares is ruled by Mars, the god of war, and Mars is also the ruler of Scorpio, which is, of course, the sign of jealousy and possessiveness. So you can see it's um, a, a basically can be described as a fatal attraction um, to those places, whether it's New Delhi, Varanasi, Jerusalem, uh, Mecca. So yeah, Hanuman and April 16, right? April 16 was the full moon. It was the second Passover. It's one day before Easter. Clashes broke between Hindus and uh, Muslims. That was going on over there. Then uh, during the same time in Ukraine, we have something, in Russia, sorry, we have something very interesting. I was reading this article about the Moscow Patriarch, uh, what's his name, Kirill or something like that. He's the top guy uh, of the Russian Orthodox Church. And he and his um, minions started uh, going around with incense or whatever they have, started blessing and sanctifying airplanes and missiles and um, uh, the army, basically. And, and it's really interesting. Not only that, it, uh, giving the historical golden icon of Virgin Mary to the commanders. Obviously, these commanders, the Russian commanders, I think they're already uh, like eight or nine of them already died. So obviously, this uh, Virgin Mary uh, icon did not help them that much. Or it could be that Virgin Mary, the archetype of Virgo, the archetype of service, of the nun, you know, think about it. You're blessing military and people who are going to go out and eventually rape and eventually torture kids and torture pregnant women and create basically a genocide. You're blessing them with Mary. It, it's not disrespectful to Mother Mary and to the archetype of compassion and unconditional love of Mother Mary. I mean, it's not that it's disrespectful. It's just stupid, plain stupidity because you can't use the magic and the archetype of Virgin Mary to help protect soldiers who are then going to defy everything that Mother Mary stands for. Therefore, you basically can't do it. It just doesn't work. It's almost like trying to plug a, a USB to an HDMI. It doesn't, it doesn't work. You can try to push it really, really strong and destroy the computer or destroy the HDMI or the HB, H, uh, um, whatever, USB, but you cannot really use the energies of or the archetype of Mother Mary to bless soldiers that are going to later on rape the very people that Mother Mary is linked to. But I just can't understand how a religious figure who worships Christ, right, can bless armies or airplanes or bombs or missiles. I mean, either you're a complete idiot, which is possible, 
you know, or you have such a defined and strong cognitive dissonance that you should be going to therapy and preferably not with a priest, but with an actual therapist. Or you're just cynical and you're just an evil person that got really high in your prof profession precisely because these kind of nonsense and, uh, you know, trying to use power and your power over people to basically get higher and higher and higher. But I'm just thinking this guy is at the top of his field. Where does he have to go higher than that? I mean, it doesn't he. Well, OK, let's imagine talking to this Kirill guy, to this uh, patriarch or whatever you call him. I mean. Imagine Jesus coming and asking him, hey, w what are you doing again? Don't you remember I said not to throw stones, let alone missiles? Um, and um, don't you remember that thing about the cheek? Well, no, you, you erased it out of your uh, uh, version of New Testament. I mean, I, mean I, I really don't understand this. Now, this is really fascinating to me how people can be so disconnected to what they actually supposed to represent. And we're talking here about the archetype of uh, Christ consciousness. What is Christ consciousness? In, in the Tree of Life, Christ consciousness is associated with Tiferet, with beauty, with the energies of um, a, the heart, right? And it's about the connection to the heart. And the heart is associated with children. So, okay, you have a problem right now. There is war. Stay out of it. You don't have to say anything about it, but to go and bless the very tools of destruction when you are worshiping or saying that you are representing uh, Jesus Christ is just, again, another distortion of archetype. So, obviously... He's going to have future lifetimes and he's going to have to probably meet Jesus up there. Jesus is going to tell him, like, dude, what have you done? You know, but in the meantime, all this damage is definitely um, sad to see. And of course, uh, one of the things that happened is that Pope Francis actually said to uh, uh, the Kirill dude, uh, listen, I think that um, we're not going to meet. And I'm actually, if I had a hat, I would take it off. To the Pope, because whatever you want to say about the current Pope, not the ones before them, but for this guy, he is really trying to upgrade the church. It's just that a lot of the cardinals and the bishops, especially those, funny enough, in America, are um, holding back the church from evolving and from growing. But at least he put the red line and said, with this dude, I'm not meeting because obviously this guy is deranged. Um, oh, one of the things that I uh, wanted to share with you, because I had some people ask me, why do, um, eat, do Jews eat matzah? And also Jesus, why did he eat matzahs on the Passover, on the seder, in the seder of Passover? So there was a lot of, uh, you know, if you ask anybody, why do Jews eat matzahs? Uh, because it's unleavened uh, bread and because the Jews had to uh, escape or the Hebrews had to escape really from really fast from slavery. They didn't have time for the bread, for the yeast to work and to leaven. Leaven, you say, uh, to rise. So therefore, uh, we eat matzahs that are flatbread, that don't have yeast uh, because we were in the hurry to live. And that's what you do. Apparently... I read this book by Dr. Tova Dickstein, and she did the whole research about the food in the, in the ancient world. And what she said is really interesting. She says that all of these explanations are absolute nonsense. It ain't necessarily so. Why? Because if you read the Bible very well, and if you read Exodus 12, which is the story of Passover, you see that the Jews knew, or the Hebrews, sorry, that two to three weeks before they leave, that they're supposed to leave. 
So they had enough time to go get bread, to work on their bread, to pack it really nice, maybe to put it in some kind of ice and go on their journey. Not only that, God gives Moses instruction regarding the last plague, you know, the one that you had to go and slaughter an Aries, a ram, and put the blood on the, on the doors so the angel of death could pass over the houses of the Jews, right? That's what we call Passover. Um, so they were warned by God at the same time he was telling them about the last plague. So they knew it's the last plague. After that, we're leaving, so you have enough time. But he specifically tells them not to eat any kind of bread. And if anybody does, they will be severely punished. Now, the question she asked in the book is, why does God care so much about what kind of bread the Hebrews are eating? I mean, crying out loud, we're talking about getting out there 600,000 men, which probably means another 600,000 wives and another... I don't know, 1.2 million at least of kids and other people that are coming. I mean, the la what, what do you care about bread? It's like, it seems like a stupid uh, little details. But apparently, in research, they found out that living bread or live, living? Living bread. I'll call it living. I mean, you can correct uh, yourself in your own uh, mind uh, spell checker. But bread that hasn't, that, that rose or rise, all right, um, was the national symbol of Egypt. Apparently, Egyptians were called by the other countries around them or other nations around them in the ancient world, the bread eaters. And when they did some research, they found that actually the whole idea of bread was probably evolved or developed in Egypt. Uh, don't forget that Egypt was also the breadbasket of the entire Mediterranean. That's why for the Roman Empire, the province of Egypt was the biggest prize, why the Persians had to go in their empire and conquer Egypt. It wasn't for the pyramids. It was for the wheat. It was for uh, um, the grain. They are also the people that kind of evolved beer to the next level. So think about it. Let's imagine you have an exodus from France, and then God tells the people, the slaves in France, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to liberate you. We'll go to uh, our promised land in Italy, wherever. But do not eat baguette. Whatever you do, don't eat baguettes because baguettes are associated with the French, and we don't want to have anything to do with the French. So don't bring anything French with you. Okay, so that's the idea behind why they were why we're eating matzahs. And also, when she discovered that matzahs is the food, or these crackers uh, are the food of or the food stable of people that are uh, more gatherers or postures, or the people that are nomads, the people that don't have a settlement, so they can't have their big fancy ovens. They have to um, do it really fast because we are going to be here for three weeks, like you know, like the Mongolians or like other nations, the Turks. For for example, in their beginning, and then we're going to move to the next place. So we don't have time for bread. We're going to have to eat those little thingies. So it's basically bringing back the um, Hebrews away from the settlement and into a period of having to get used to lousy bread because we're living Egypt, which was the best bakeries in the Near East. And also the idea of eating lamb, uh, why we eat lamb in Easter, why we eat lamb in Passover, is because lamb is what, we, what the shepherds used to eat. Cows were apparently more eaten by settlement, by places that they actually can have cows. You don't go around the desert uh, with a herd of cows. Right. So uh, also the idea of land of milk and honey. Everybody thinks about milk and they see a cow. But no, the milk and honey actually represents sheep milk and honey that comes from wildflowers, not even from uh, planted fields. So it's an interesting way to look at it. Next time you ask why we eat matzahs, you'll have a better explanation. 
Um, what I want to talk now about is the uh, April 30th. Ah, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, you know, in the United States now, there's a whole big thing about don't say gay in Florida. And now the math, I think 41% of the math books were disqualified because of SEL, social emotional learning. Everybody is terrified about the fact that uh, they're teaching kids to be emotionally and socially connected to each other. I don't know to what degree it was happening in Florida. Obviously, it's all cynical and it's all... Uh, just, uh, you know, for the base, in a sense. So uh, I remember one of the, I think that it was um, DeSantis that says, math is about getting the right answer. Um, it's not about how you feel about the problem, which is really interesting because if you change math with uh, electors, you t it's like, or people that I need to get to elect me or to vote for me, it's more like uh, voting is about getting the right number, right? It's not about how you feel about uh, problems or how you feel about issues that are important for people. But the interesting thing about this whole discussion, whether yes emotion, no emotion, any other country, I don't mind you discussing this. And maybe math should be one plus one equal two and raise a nation of robots. But if United States is a cancer, July 4th. And the key word for cancer is I feel. You better teach the children in America how to feel. How to feel about numbers, which is numerology, but you don't have to teach that, obviously. Or how to feel about resolving issues, not only coming with the solution, but understanding what the solution is for. Now, I don't know how far it went, and maybe these books are filled with propaganda. I kind of doubt because I looked at some of these books. But what I'm saying in general for the politicians in Florida and around the country is that United States is based on the idea of emotions and feelings. You can't take it away without taking the spirit away from the country. So, again, what we're talking here a lot is about archetypes. That's why I told you about the golden icon of Maria that cannot be used to bless military equipment because it's just stupid and doesn't work. The same thing with trying to make a nation that is born into cancer lack of you know, bring them into lack of emotion. So that's things to look into. And of course, you heard also what was going on with um, the minority leader in the United States uh, when he basically there was uh, tapes talking about how he thinks that Trump should be uh, should resign and all of that. And then he said he didn't say it. And then the tapes came out and played it and said that he did say it. You know, the lying is so obvious now everybody is so much lying that they don't even care that they're lying it became like this um a new fashion you know who can lie better or not even better because this is such a worse lie but the interesting thing is he's 57 years old so the tapes were released right when he's 57 and i told you 27 to 30 56 to 60 is your Saturn return. So no wonder he's going now through a big upheaval that's very typical for Saturn return. So now let's look at the lunation that we're having, the full moon, uh, the new moon, sorry, the eclipse, the solar eclipse. It's a partial eclipse. Why is it a partial eclipse? Because as you can see on the chart, for those of you who can see the chart, the moon and the sun are going to be conjunct 10 degrees in Taurus. Now, 10 degrees is interesting. It relates to right at the border between the decans of uh, the first decan, which is until 10 degrees, and the second decan, which is after 10 degrees. So we're, if we're talking about the decans, which are these 10 degrees segments in each sign, so we have three of them because each sign is 30 degrees, 
we are talking about an interesting position of the new moon. First of all, remember I told you to start looking at the number of the degree because it can tell us a little bit about the essence of what that, uh, where the moon and the sun uh, decide to meet. In this case, it's 10 degrees, and the um, Sabian symbol is a woman sprinkling flowers. I think it's a beautiful symbol. Um, Mother Nature, Taurus is Mother Nature, sprinkling uh, flowers. I mean, it's beautiful. It's like sprinkling flowers. Remember the last temptation of the Buddha? When, no, the second temptation of the Buddha when the army of orcs were firing arrows of fire uh, at um, the Buddha who was sitting quietly under his tree, minding his own business, trying to find the suffering of mankind uh, or humanity. And all of these arrows transformed into petals. So that's kind of similar energy. And it's like we're getting into the period of the transformation of Buddha. So it's interesting that Aries is very much the mythology of Jesus, Muhammad, and Moses. And as we move to Taurus, we're moving to the mythology of the Siddhartha, Buddha, and Enlightenment. So 10 degrees. 10, of course, is a very auspicious number. It creates its completion and it's taking us back to that one energy. But the interesting thing and why it's, so, why it's partial, as you can see, the degree of the sun and the moon is 10. And the north node, which always represents where the eclipse are, uh, is 23 degrees. So it's 13 degrees difference. It's a lot of difference. So it means that, yes, it's an eclipse officially, but it's a, it's a very, very partial eclipse. It's not saying that it's not going to be powerful. I'm just saying it's not as powerful if it would have been a total solar eclipse. This year, the lunar eclipses are going to be more powerful, meaning that the completion, the... Uh, that let's say the the end of processes is stronger than beginning processes this year. But anyway, the interesting conjunction that we have on this eclipse, and we always look to see if there's any planet coming to the party of the sun and the moon union, because that colors the eclipse. And what colors the eclipse this year is Uranus. So it's an Uranian eclipse. What is Uranus? An awakening. There is definitely going to be some kind of an awakening happening this uh, Saturday on a personal level, on a global level. So really pay attention. Uranus is the rebel. Uranus is unpredictable. So there could be a sudden shift, a sudden twist in your story. You know, if, the, if your life is a sitcom, which is a lot of time the case is, um, we are talking about this week's episode. There is a crazy twist happening. Something unpredictable is going to happen. So Definitely, it's going to be interesting. It's not going to be a boring eclipse. Uranus is also about communities and people. So it's going to be great for you to do something with friends, to do something with people. That even can be as a protection. Because when we're talking about archetypes, we're basically diving into an archetype. So now we're diving into the archetype of Uranus. You want to dive in there with a balloon and the ability to breathe? Okay, so maybe you should do it. You should look into what Uranus represents and try to bring more aspects of it that you can control, because Uranus is uncontrollable, to kind of elevate that energy. So, for example, anything Uranian that you can do willingly or thoughtfully or plan it inside uh, on for that weekend is really good for you, because then you won't have to deal with only the unpredictable, crazy aspect of Uranus. So, what is Uranus? Technology, innovation. If you wanted to upgrade your computer, you wanted to do something new with technology, new business even on e-commerce, don't do it, I told you, on the 30th, maybe 31st, maybe the 1st of May, 2nd of May. You know, you can wait a little bit for the moon to start growing because it's not the best when it's an eclipse, A, and B, when you look up at the sky and there's no moon. 
So that's what's going to happen to you on the 30th. So again, try to implement something more connected to technology, innovation, communities, people, nonprofit, philanthropic, do something altruistic. Um, any of those aspects can help offset if there is anything negative that could come from the unpredictable tendency of Uranus, like being electrified, for example, electrocuted, or having some unexpected guests come that you really don't want part of your life, you know, so, or anything unpredictable happening to your home or to your office, because again, moon is locations and what contains us or the car and Uranus is accidents, unpredictable mishaps. So again, pay a little bit attention to it. But that being said, the eclipse is also happening when Jupiter and Venus are in conjunction and it's one of the best thing possible in the year. So even though we have this new moon, which is a conjunction on uh, 10 degrees Taurus, we have Venus, the ruler of Taurus, therefore very important in Pisces, which is exalted. So Pisces is exalted in um, uh, Venus is exalted in Pisces on top of Neptune, the ruler of Pisces and on top of Jupiter, the traditional ruler of Pisces. And they're all happy to be in Pisces. The only one that's not happy to be in Pisces is no, it actually doesn't mind Mars. But the idea is that between Pisces and uh, Taurus in this eclipse, we have basically 70% of the chart. So 70% of the chart during the eclipse is going to be in Taurus and Pisces. Taurus and Pisces get along very well together, even though a lot of people think that Taurus is materialistic. You know, the bull market, Taurus is money and banks and values. Yes, but Taurus is also in the tarot card, the Hierophant, which is the interpreter of dreams. And the Buddha was a Taurus. So you can't really get much more spiritual than that. And especially there is a link between Taurus and Pisces, which is the sign of mysticism, because Venus, the ruler of Taurus, is exalted in Pisces. So therefore, there is a very powerful connection between the two. So again, meditations, mysticism, dance, movement, yoga, Pilates, um, anything that has to do with empathy, healing, is really, really strong for October, April 30th. So the eclipse, yes, it's Uranian, but it has a very strong color of Pisces because of that Venus uh, exalted in Pisces on top of Jupiter, which basically means the ultimate aspect of luck. So if you have a baby born on April 30th, oh my God, it's kind of an interesting kid because in one sense, an eclipse, but on the other sense, that Venus on top of Jupiter is the ultimate aspect of luck. So... Hopefully, we're going to get some good news happening. So let's pay attention and, and collect some. If you get any kind of interesting news article or something that you think that is connected to it, just send it over to me. And uh, we are having, yeah, and the Sabian symbol, like we say, is the woman sprinkling flowers in the northern hemisphere. We're now in spring. There should be a lot flowers there to sprinkle around. So if you're thinking about what ritual you should do maybe on this new moon, sprinkle flower or have a, your, uh, have a woman you know sprinkle flower. Also for me, a woman sprinkling flowers could mean that your feminine side inside of you is tapping into creativity, beauty, art, especially nature. So again, great time to go and do some kind of hike in nature, Taurus, especially nature that is close to water, hence the Pisces. So again, very interesting weekend. Now, where is the eclipse going to fall in your uh, sign? So, first of all, for Aries, the eclipse is going to fall on the second house, which is the house of money, talents, and self-worth. That basically means eclipse. You know, this solar eclipse is, again, a push forward. 
it's a push forward that could be a little bit unpredictable and again connected to innovation technology maybe to a new group new people new community so have that in mind and Taurus is all about your values your money your self-worth uh, your talents so those are the two energies we're having right Taurus and the idea of something new emerging now we have to look at what area in each sign's life is it manifesting everything we just talked about so in case of Aries is the house of money talents and self-worth which is precisely what Taurus rules so for Arians it's a great time to push something new especially with e-commerce with innovation with technology maybe starting a new um activity with a friend or a person that you know and Taurus is very much related to the body so this is a great time to do something with your physicality for Taurus it's about everything in their life because we're talking about the sun the moon in Taurus the eclipse is in Taurus in your first house so again something to do with your body physical body something to do with how you look at life and how life looks at you so if you always wanted to try to I don't know, color your hair pink, this is not a bad time to do that. Um, if you uh, always wanted to change your identity, change something about your path, try a new road to walk by, because that's the rising sign, then this is definitely the time for you. And until July uh, 2023, all Tauruses are through a lot of pressure, not in a bad way, it's just because we're putting them on the stage, because now we're all looking at Taurus to see how they deal with life, to know how we should deal with it. Because... Like I said, from the end of December last year until July 2023, North Node, which is what our collective lessons are, is in Taurus. So we all are supposed to learn more about our talents, about our finance, about our values. Think about like how this war in Ukraine split the world according to the values. Everybody now is talking about values. The values of China and Russia and North Korea in one side, the side of the story, and the West on the other side of the story. This is a war of values more than anything else. And that's why uh, Putin wants uh, Kirill to kind of, uh, uh, you know, make his airplane smell of incense before they fly. It's all about values right now. So, again, this is a period that is similar to whatever was going on 2003, 2004. You can go back to that time, 84, 85, 65, 66. So it's basically every 19 years that we have to reset our values or the way we look at our values and our talents. For Gemini, it's interesting because Gemini are plunged into the 12th house, which is the house of past lifetimes. So this is going to be a little bit crazy for Gemini because Gemini are very objective. They're very much about here and now. It's a binary language. It's a binary sign. You're throwing the robot into um, a mystical realm and the robot is like, oh, what is going on here? So or you can look at it as if um, data from Star Trek is getting an emotional chip. So I'm not saying Gemini are completely not connected to their emotion. It's not the case. I'm just saying that Gemini is very much about reason. And these eclipses and this period of a year and a half, they're pushed into the house of mysticism past lifetime. And that means also on the practical level that they might have to let go of something. So a process of letting go is starting for Gemini uh, this year. Letting go, releasing things, surrendering, cutting out, basically cleaning house. For cancer, it's all about new beginning with friendships, communities, people, organizations, governments, everything that has to do with 
community. Now, it's kind of interesting. I just told you about how cancer is United States and all the feeling, SEL, and all of these things. And it is in the realm of government. So now you can understand why this uh, whole period from the end of December, when all of these laws of uh, don't say gay, uh, don't talk about emotional things that upset for kids. For example, there's some schools who don't want to talk about the Holocaust because it's too emotional. Or they don't want to talk about slavery because, you know, you don't want to upset the kids. So that's the cancer in the 11th house. And for cancer in, in general, this is a great time for a new a beginning, a new beginning with a new company, maybe. Uh, if you always wanted to move to a different circle of friends or uh, try to work in a different company, even if you wanted to move to a different country, not a bad time for cancers. So everything that has to do with friendships, community, is what this new moon is all about. But because the 11th house is also the house of hopes and the house of, um, you can say, manifestation of wishes... Cancer is going to have a lot of magic now to manifest their wishes. For Leos, it's about career. And Leos are going to be very happy to hear that because it means a new beginning in their career. Also, Leos are ruled by the sun and solar eclipses are very, very intense because what happened in solar eclipse is that the solar is eclipsed. The sun is eclipsed by the moon. So it can be a little bit over-emotional for Leos because their own energy of or engine, the sun, is being eclipsed by the moon. But it also means new beginning in the career, new beginning with their status in community. So uh, it means some kind of, uh, uh, sometimes it's awards, recognition, new possibilities with everything that has to do with their career. For Virgo, it's about traveling. It's about foreign cultures and foreign tradition. It's about higher education. And don't forget that for uh, Virgos, higher education is, is easy. Uh, the first universities we had were in monasteries, if you remember. So uh, the, the idea of learning, teaching, uh, maybe even traveling to a place you've never been to, maybe connecting to a foreigner that um, uh, you haven't connected before, maybe a, a new country that you never suspect that you have any interest in is going to start coming through synchronicities into your life. And also, it could be something new with in-laws. Uh, in-laws could be problematic. The ninth house represents in-laws. So, I don't know, son-in-law, mother-in-law uh, could be acting out because the eclipse can be a little bit loco, could be a little bit crazy. For Libra, it's the eighth house, which is the house of sexuality, intimacy, death, transformation. For Libras, they're like Orpheus. You know, Orpheus was this uh, incredible singer that could even charm the three-headed dog that protects the realm of the dead. So he was known for stepping or going down the um, uh, into the into the realm of Hades to bring back his wife, which he obviously failed eventually. But anyway, he's very much a Libra in the sense of controlling music or using music to charm people. And of course, he went to the underworld to follow his wife. Libra is all about marriage. So... We're all following, Libras are following Orpheus into the underworld. In Jungian terminology, you're going into your shadow. You can retrieve from there a lot of gifts, but it can be awfully scary. So for Libras, it is very much about their intimacy, sexuality, maybe something new with production or working with other people's money, other people's talents. For Scorpio, it is about relationships and partnership. So Scorpio is part of this deal right now because if the eclipses are in Taurus, of course, they're also automatically with Scorpio because if the North Node is in Taurus, the South Node is in Scorpio. 
They're opposite signs, therefore they always are linked. So for if Taurus is about me, of course for Scorpio it's about us. So Scorpio is going to get some, some feeling of movement with relationship, partnerships in work, partnerships in life, contractual relationships, significant others, maybe something to do with lawsuits, courts. So just pay attention. Yes, it's the house of relationship, but it's also the house of enemies. Don't forget, Orpheus is going down there. He's going to retrieve his wife, but his enemy is Hades who took it. For Sagittarius, it's about the sixth house, and that means work. So for Sagittarians, there is something new happening with work, maybe with your diet. If you always wanted to start a new diet, not a bad time. Some kind of transformation in connection to work, maybe something eclipsed um, or something hidden is going to be revealed because that's what sometimes the eclipses do. The eclipses could undo an eclipse. What am I saying? I'm saying that what the eclipse does, it could, it could inhibit an inhibition. Let's let's play like that. It could take out a cover. It could uncover a cover, if that makes sense. So if something was eclipsed in your life already or covered, then it can the eclipse can help uncover, unshell it in a sense. So in many ways, for Sagittarius, they can discover new things about coworkers, employees. But overall, it is about a time for service. So for Sagittarius, it's a time for work and service and health. For Capricorn, it's in the fifth house. So there might be some craziness with your kids. There might be some um, uh, challenges happening in connection to love. But at the same time, if you are, if you have a secret lover, be super careful because there could be, it could be eclipsed. It could be discovered in a sense or deciphered in a way. But if you wanted to start a family, if you want to have kids, if you want to create, if you want to show your creations, this is a great time. For Aquarius, it's in the fourth house, all about home, family, nurturing. It's all about um, connection to your family of origin, starting a new family. The reason why I'm saying starting a lot is because it's a new moon. Uh, for Aquarius, it's also about real estate. So again, just be careful of the retrograde and the shadow. And for Pisces, it's all about the third house, which is siblings, relatives, communication, networking, writing, businesses, contracts. So this could push really forward a lot of their ability to do business, to connect to a better communication in a sense, to ground their communication. The eclipse will be mainly seen in the la land of fire. It's all the way to the tip of South, uh, South America. Uh, it will cover the uh, Falklands, uh, Argentina, a little bit of uh, Chile. So that's mainly the parts. I'm just a little bit concerned more about uh, Antarctica. I hope that we're not going to get any bad news about ice um, sheets falling apart or something. April 26 is when Mercury's shadow begins. So it's in a few days. So May 9 and 10, remember, it will be stationary Mercury. Then it's going to be stationary in Gemini. And then it's going to move back, 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 back all the way up until June 1st. It's going to be retrograde and June 2nd and 3rd stationary. So if you want to be safe, stop. No, don't start anything after April 26. If you can... If you have to, okay, so try to do everything you can by May 9 and then begin again after June 4 because the stationary also are not the best time to start anything and usually they say that the effect of retrograde is the strongest during stationary. Um, yes, so really quick about the uh, decans. Um, 
let's look at Aries. I mean, Mary, I'll do it really fast because we talked about it here and I want it to be the segment that we do once a month. So Aries, I mean, the whole idea about the decans are decans is 10. We take the 30 days of each sign or the 30 degrees of each sign and we divide it into three lands. The beginning land, the middle land and the end land. But really it's similar to the modalities in astrology that we have cardinal, fixed and mutable. The idea is that everything is built on three. That's why in the tree of life, understanding or bina is the sphere of structure and it has to do with it's the third sphere. It's with Saturn. So we divide it into three. Each one of them is ruled by another sign that shares the same element. So if we talk about Aries, we have three fire signs. We have Aries, Sagittarius, and Leo. And the way this works is that the first decan of every sign, if you're born on the first 10 days of um, each sign, for example, in Aries, it will be March 20 or 21 until the 30th then you're considered to be ruled by Aries and Aries. You're a double Aries in a sense. You're pure Aries because it's the beginning of that sign. It's when that sign is testing itself. It's when it's discovering itself. The second decan will always be the next sign that shares the element if you continue going in the zodiac. So, for example, the next fire sign after Aries is Leo. Therefore, if you're born between March 31st to April 9, meaning that you're in the first, uh, the second 10 degrees of Aries, you are ruled by Leo. So compared to regular Aries, you're more royal, you're more entertaining, but you might have more ego problems, right? Because of that Leo uh, effect. And if you're born on the third one, which is between April 10 to the 20th, then you are much more ruled by Sagittarius. You have this influence of Sagittarius. So what are you? You're an Aries. Your body's an Aries, but you're wearing Sagittarius clothes. You're putting on Sagittarius makeup, okay? So that's how you look at it. And it really helps because, you know, these books, these very popular books about astrology and compatibility between signs, it all is based on this idea of the decans. It's a very old way of looking at astrology. Also, what is embedded in it, and this is why I have this little drawing here that I sent you many times, it starts here with Aries. You can see also the color scheme. It's a beautiful thing. I'll send it again uh, when I send the recording. And you can find your decan. You can say, let's say I'm born on, uh, what am I born? July 12. So July 12, you look for the dates. You see suddenly it's here in Cancer, obviously your Cancer. And you are uh, the second decan, right? Because it's counterclockwise. And you are ruled by Mercury. So not only you are ruled by a certain sign that belongs to the same element, but you also have a sub-ruler of a, of a planet. And that's a very important one because that builds up the um, tarot cards. And the way it works is that it starts off with Aries here. So the ruler of Aries is Mars. And then we basically follow what is called the Akkadian, uh, the Akkadian flow. And basically what it is, it is a Taking us according to the tree of life, you'll see that, that the tree of life also association to the planet is the same. Severity is Mars, therefore the sphere after that is beauty, it will be ruled by the sun. The sphere after that is eternity, it's ruled by Venus. The sphere after that is splendor, it will be ruled by Mercury. The sphere, sphere after is foundation, 
it's ruled by the moon. Then we have kingdom that doesn't have an affiliation, crown and wisdom that doesn't have a planet. And the next one is understanding that has Saturn. And then it repeats itself. So basically, the planets are going, the association of the planets are going according to the tree of life, but they're called the Akkadian um, flow of the planets, basically. So it's kind of an interesting way of um, looking at the stars. And if you go here, you'll see what suit you belong to. So Aries will be wands, Taurus will be discs, Gemini will be swords, Cancer will be cups, then Leo will be wands again, Virgo, of course, disc because it's Earth, Libra will be swords, Scorpio will be cups, water, then Sagittarius will be wands, fire, Capricorn will be discs because it's Earth, Aquarius will be swords because it's air, and Pisces will be cups because it's water. So you can start identifying your own tarot cards, but we'll talk about all of them so you don't have to worry. So Aries, the first decan, people born between April and March 21, the equinox to the 30th, are Aries. Aries, they're pure Aries. They can be very childlike, very playful, very self-centered because it's all about me. I am. And it is ruled by Mars, the ruler of Aries. So they're like triple Aries. And it's the two of wands, which basically means dominion. That's why you'll see that a lot of people born at that period wants to control or take over or have a little bit of a power struggle. The people, Aries born on the second uh, decan from March 31 to April 9th are ruled by Leo. So like we said, more royal, more entertaining, and they are associated with the sun. So again, very strong energy. Not only they're ruled by Leo, but also by the sun. And it is talking about the element of the three of wands, which the tarot card is called virtue. Virtue, virtud, is basically the Latin word for masculine good qualities. So they have good qualities of that masculine energy. And again, it represents the sun in Aries. And the third uh, decan of Aries is governed by Sagittarius. Venus is the ruler of that uh, decan. Again, the way you look at it, you see first decan is ruled by Mars, second ruled by the sun, third is ruled by Venus. Therefore, art and beauty is much stronger. Sagittarius give them an ability to teach. And the Four of Wands means completion, that they have come to some kind of completion. For Taurus, the first decan actually talks about April 20th until about uh, April 30th. And it is the card five of disc, which is worry. So again, it's Mercury in Taurus. There are very much, if you look at this diagram ruled by mercury you see five of discs so um oops, the second uh, decan is ruled by mercury and it has to do with the six of discs and it's actually a little bit um different because what it talks about is the disc the six of discs is actually talking about victory sorry it's not victory it's um success this is wrong success. So the card for the second decan of Taurus is success. So when are we going to be more successful during Taurus? Okay, so you can already, not only about when you were born, it's also to trace the year or to trace the uh, uh, weeks and the month. So this gives you a, a deeper understanding of how to work with uh, Zodiac here. So as we approach my, May 1st and until May 10, which is coming up, this is supposed to be governed by Mercury, by Virgo. It's a lot of uh, work. 
a, a lot of marketing that has to do with uh, beauty and design. And it's actually talking about victory, the ability to make things happen. Taurus, a third decan, actually is ruled by Saturn, Capricorn, and it is representing a little bit more a morbid uh, name for the card. It's seven of disc, which is failure. So that's the fear of failure. So we're getting uh, between May 11 to the 21st, which is interesting. We're going to have the eclipse then. We're going to have the uh, uh, the lunar eclipse. We're going to have the retrograde. And it's called failure. I mean, I mean that everything you're going to do is going to fail. But if you need to start something really important, maybe it's not the best time between May 11 to May 21st every year because of that influence of the card. The rest of the cards we're going to... I mean, the rest of the signs we're going to talk later. Oh, my God, it's 11. Sorry. Uh, today I was talking too much. Um, let me share with you what's happening this week. Um, the days. So today we are having April 24. Yeah. Today the moon is in um, Aquarius. It's all about people and community. This is a great uh, week. I mean, Sunday, Monday, there is good energy around communities, people, groups. The only problem is that the moon is is squaring Uranus, which is the ruler of groups and people. So you might meet funky people or people are might not be the best for you or people who um, activate some kind of old emotional pattern. So just be a little bit careful, especially because we're having the moon on top of Saturn on top on everything. So I'm not saying this is a cursed day, but this is not the easiest day uh, for us. So we're going to have to let it pass and we're going to Pass it with a click. That's it. It's where I'll do tomorrow. You don't have to worry. So tomorrow, the moon is moving into Pisces, and it's joining that Piscean Taurus energy, which is so beautiful right now. So again, Taurus is the garden, Pisces the hose, the, the canals, and we have a beautiful sprinkling of flowers. So the moon tomorrow is going to be in Pisces, and also on Tuesday, and the moon of new big. It's the moon of mysticism, emotions. Uh, I know we're not supposed to talk about emotions ever again, but still, it is emotional. Mars is going to be in Pisces. Venus in Pisces, Neptune in Pisces, Jupiter in Pisces. We definitely have 50% of the chart in Pisces. So between Pisces and Taurus, this Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, even Wednesday, we're going to have so much energy in earth and water. Very feminine, very nurturing. No oppositions happening. The only retrograde we have is, we don't have retrograde. No, we're still in the non-retrograde until April 28th. So uh, Mercury is still in Taurus for a few more days before it moves uh, into uh, Gemini. But again, pay attention to the day after because the day after is when this shadow begins. We're going to have still the moon in Pisces, which is again a blessing. So Tuesday and Wednesday also we should have the moon in Pisces, which is really good again with flowing with life. Not to try too hard, but much more to relax and allow things to happen around you. Uh, Mars on top of the moon could be a little bit of emotional battles. So stay away from uh, too much conflict based on emotions. Uh, maybe try to go a little bit more towards reason if possible, even though we have no air uh, besides Saturn <laughs> being in Aquarius. So maybe that's why everybody's behaving so crazy lately, because there is no logic to kind of like help us. Hey, why don't you just be a little bit reasonable? There is no reason. It's almost as if everything is now subjective. It's not objective. And that's continuing uh, when we have Wednesday. Wednesday, we do have an interesting day because we have Venus, Neptune, the Moon, and Jupiter and Mars in Pisces still. 
And not only that, Jupiter is touching moon. If you wanted to buy a property, if you wanted to do something with a move, a change of location, even planning it, it's great to do it on Wednesday because the moon is going to be on top of Jupiter, a blessing of the home, on top of Neptune, very mystical. Uh, Venus is exalted, beautiful energy. So definitely do that. And then we have something interesting, Pluto in score in Capricorn, uh, the cluster in Pisces, the cluster in um, Taurus, they're all aligned very, very well. So if you want to structure something, begin something, even though it's the shadow, I really recommend to do that on the 27 and even the 28. So the 27 and 28, very good time for new beginnings. It's just before the eclipse, but not quite. And you have the moon in Aries, especially on Thursday, to begin new things. Then on um, April 29, it's a Friday, we are moving towards more Aries energy because of the moon being in Aries. Minerva is still in Aries. Chiron is in Aries. So a lot of the great teachers are in Aries with the moon. Uh, Saturn is still alone in air sign, so we have no air still. <laughs> Hard to breathe a little bit, but um, we are very much swimming under the water, so don't need for breathing. And then on Saturday, we have the new moon. You can see on Saturday a few things are happening which are very unique. Mercury is moving into Gemini, which is great for Mercury. We have some objectivity coming right in time before the eclipse. So we're saved by Mercury moving into a very reasonable sign for a few days before it's going to start retrograde, right? Then we have the moon uh, and the sun conjunct. Minerva moves away from Aries into Taurus. So there's a little bit going to be more um, financial wars out there because Minerva is the goddess of, wise, of wisdom, but also just war. And she's moved now to Taurus for a while. And Taurus is more about finance. Before that, she was in Aries, which is interesting. That was the period of time of the war uh, that started with Ukraine. So again... We have a very powerful eclipse because of the conjunction of Venus and Jupiter and the conjunction to Uranus from the sun and the moon and the move of the goddess of war into Taurus and the god of messages from Taurus to Gemini. And again, you can see on the chart, no opposition and no retrograde, except that Pluto on that day, on Saturday, is starting to be stationary. And therefore, you have to be really careful with manipulation, power struggles, enemies, destruction, death, letting go, accidents because of that Pluto on Saturday and Sunday being stationary, especially being in Capricorn. So just take a little bit of heat. So definitely it's a very powerful eclipse, not only because the eclipse is there, but because of the setup of the eclipse. A, a few announcements. I'm going to be in New York uh, from... Um, the 22nd of May until the 29th. And if you want to have a reading in person, that's uh, that's the time to do it. So you can email me. Uh, we're planning to have a few workshops uh, while I'm in New York. And definitely I'm going to be in Omega in the first week of January, uh, June uh, doing this workshop about a superhero and trying to find your power. So thanks a lot. Um, have an amazing, amazing uh, week. Happy Eclipse.